Good morning. It is good to gather as we can, although it will be far better when we are able to meet together again. I know many of us are anxious in a good way to be able to meet together again. So please keep praying that God continues the uh, march toward uh, this virus being gone uh, so that we can gather together again, so that we can experience the face-to-face fellowship and uh, and uh, be fulfilled in that desire. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 91. I'm going to begin in verse 9, but please keep in mind in Psalm 91 that it opens up with those wonderful words telling us that God will save us from the fowler snare, from the deadly pestilence, and as many commentators feel, um, from the satanic and demonic forces that attack us. But I'll pick up in verse 9 of Psalm 91. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you that you have drawn us to your salvation, that you have shown us in your son those wonderful words of life, the way to reconciliation with you, the way to protection and ultimately the way to glorification. But as we worship, we are reminded of that salvation that you have given. We are reminded that the one who took our punishment is the one who will provide for us the access to your salvation and to your glory. And so in this odd way, we gather today, we gather to worship you and we ask that you tune our hearts toward you and that you be honored, that you be glorified by how we worship today. Lord, we lift up our prayers to you, praying as you have taught us, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you have a hymn book at home, we'll be singing hymn number 310. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That should be our prayer. That should be our desire. It's for our whole entire life to be consecrated with God. So if you're able, let's stand and sing hymn number 310. Take my life and let it be. Set. 
If you're standing, be seated. Our prayer of confession today comes once again from Prone to Wander. This is a book of prayers of confession and celebration. It was written by Barbara Duguid and Wayne Duguid Hoke. And today our prayer our prayer of confession is based on Matthew 9:36. Lord, you are our faithful shepherd who walks beside us in green pastures and through the valley of deep shadow. You have promised to pursue us with your goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. We confess that we often doubt your compassion and care for us. When we are harassed and helpless, instead of turning to you and trusting you to care for our needs and lead us in straight paths, we seek help in our idols and comfort in our sins. When others around us are harassed and helpless, we are impatient and lacking in compassion and caring about their needs and concerns. Father, forgive us. Jesus, thank you for the compassion that brought you from heaven to live among us as the good shepherd. Thank you for entering life's trials and enduring death's valley in our place without fear. Thank you that you always trusted your father's care for you, even when he gave you the overflowing bitter cup of suffering to drink for us. And thank you that you have prepared a bounteous feast for us in your father's house and that we will dwell there in heaven with you forever. Holy Spirit, be our comforter in the midst of the trials of life. Help us to trust you to provide when we are helpless to do so. Teach us to find refuge in you when we have nowhere else to turn and when no one else seems to understand our needs. Enable us in turn to show similar compassion and care to others as well, we pray, so that we may learn to love the other members of your flock as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear these words of assurance from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter four. I'll begin in verse two. These are the exhortations of Paul as he has given his teachings, his theology, so to speak, as he has told us what is true about us in relationship to God through Jesus in Jesus. He then calls us to this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintike. To agree with each other in the Lord. Yes. And I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the case of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. Typically, at this point, I would call the ushers forward for our tithes and offerings. So please remember that as you worship from home. As I have said these last couple of weeks, if you were worshiping with us from a different church, we welcome you. We are glad that you are able to find um, growth and nourishment through the word. But please remember your church during this time of separation as we consider God's command to give our tithes and offerings to him. And now we will sing hymn number 304. If you have the hymn book there, it is, O Master, let me walk with thee. Oh, what a prayer. What a request. What a desire to be able to walk with God, our Master. So if you have a hymn book, if you are able, please stand and let us sing, O Master, let me walk with thee.
As we approach God's throne in prayer, just a, a couple things to remember. Um, Jim Hunter, who was an elder down at the New Lebanon ARP Church, um, recently had rotator cuff surgery. Um, so please pray for him and his healing. Also continue to pray for Harriet Wharf. Uh, her husband David was the pastor down at New Lebanon ARP Church, and he passed away back in November. So please lift up Harriet as she she has purchased a house and needs some work done on it, and she's waiting um, for this virus to kind of calm down a little bit before the work can begin. So pray for her in her grief and also in her move that is coming up. Um, please feel free to text any or email or call in any prayer requests. Um, I'm still here. I'm still answering the phone, still checking the answering machine as necessary. So please feel free if there are things that we need to pray for to call those things in. So let us approach our dear Heavenly Father in prayer. Our God and Father above, how great it is to know that you listen. How great it is to know that you are sovereign over all things. As theologians have said in the past, there are no maverick molecules in this world. And that includes viruses that includes illnesses that includes other people in our lives that bring harm and attempt our destruction you are sovereign over all things not a single thing escapes your power your decree but lord not only are you sovereign we thank you that you are good as well that you have our good and your glory in mind Whenever you bring your sovereign will into our lives, Lord, it's hard for us to see. It's hard for us to understand oftentimes the goodness that you were working out. Yet we have that promise that you work all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, we thank you as well that you are loving you are sovereign, you are good, and you are loving. You are the tender shepherd who takes care of his sheep. You are the shepherd who leads us beside still waters. You lead us to the green pastures. You lead us in paths of righteousness and through the dark valleys in love. Lord, help us to trust. Help us to rest because you are sovereign, because you are good. Because you are loving. Help us to find peace in the midst of this time of turmoil. Help us to wait well as we desire the gathering again of your people in this sanctuary. Lord, we thank you for this time of pestilence. We thank you for the opportunity that it has given us as a culture for rest. We are a culture who refuses rest. And yet you, like you did with the Israelites in the exile, have forced us to rest. Have forced us to stop. Many of us aren't. Forgive us for that. But you have shown us the need for rest. You've also shown us the need for each other. As we have been separated one from another, as we have been separated from the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ, 
you have reminded us how much we need that fellowship. Help us to not take it for granted and forgive us for doing that thing, for taking the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ for granted. And Lord, as we are faced with the death of this pestilence as well, we are reminded that it is not the first death that we need fear, but the second death, the death of eternal life without you, the death of eternal life in condemnation of hell. Forgive us for taking that for granted as well. And make us mindful of that as we gather, not only with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but with our family members who don't know you, with our neighbors who don't know you, with our co-workers who don't know you. Help us to be willing to share the glory of your gospel with them. But we do lift up those that we have mentioned. We think of Jim and ask that you provide healing for his shoulder. We know that his body will work to heal because that is the way you've created it. We know that through doctors and through physical therapists that healing will come. Remind him that you are in that process. Remind him to be patient in that process. We pray for our dear sister Harriet. We ask that you meet her with comfort in her loss and meet her with smooth sailing in her impending move. I thank you that her church is lifting her up well, is treating her well. We know that you have the next move in her life well taken care of in your hands. Please continue to be with her and to shine upon her. Lord, be with our shut-ins. I think we've had a small taste of what they live with daily. Provide comfort for them. Think of Tommy. Think of Mariana. Think of others who are unable to gather on a regular basis with your people. Remind us of them. Help us to consider them as we pray, as we live, as we travel around in our daily lives. Or to be with our world. Use this pandemic as an opportunity for your glory. We know you will. We know you have. But use it as a call to your church to wake up, to be more outgoing in the gospel, to be more outgoing in our service, to be more outgoing in our compassion for the world around us. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We do gather with the saints of old, the saints who will come after us in professing what it is that we believe. I'll do my best to get it right this week. So church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are continuing today our our series in the book of Proverbs. Today we are in Proverbs chapter 4 and we will begin in verse 20. Uh, one of the themes in Proverbs 3 and 4 is the idea of a path, the idea of the way. And we will talk about the paths and the ways that we are on and as well as look at some other things as we consider guarding our hearts today in this passage from Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Throw away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words that you have given to us in the book of Proverbs. So many years ago, you instructed, you directed Solomon to write these down for his son. You inspired them so that they would be life changing for Solomon and his son, and they would also be life changing for us or drive them deeply into our hearts. Open our eyes today, as the Isaiah says, you have turned your people many times as they have ignored you. You have turned them into idols who are unhearing and unseeing. Open our eyes, open our ears so that we might see you, so that we might hear you, so that we might be convicted of those places where we have disappointed you, where we have sinned against you, so that we might repent, so that we might change and we might direct our feet towards you, following paths that you have given to us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider this passage today, we are reminded that God is the God who is our shepherd, and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And we are going to be called to make sure that we walk on level paths, that we take only ways that are firm, not swerving to the right or to the left. As we consider that, we are going to look at the main call of this passage, which is that we are called to guard our hearts. We are called to guard our hearts by guarding what goes in and guarding what comes out. So first, we are called to guard our heart. If we look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we see these words, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, could also be said, the most important thing for you to do is to guard your heart. What is the heart? Now, there are a few places in the Old Testament where the word heart is literally that blood pumping muscle that rely, that resides just to the left of the center of your chest. 
In 1 Samuel 25, Nabal's heart is said to fail him. Likely Nabal suffered some type of heart incident, maybe a heart attack. We don't know, but in that case, it literally meant the the blood pumping organ that resides there in your chest. But the majority of the word of the uses of the word heart in the Old Testament are metaphorical. It's a word picture talking about the center, the source of the internal life of the human being. It's basically what we attribute in our world today to the mind or to the soul. Commentators see three things in the Old Testament that the Old Testament writers considered the heart to be the center, the source or the controller of. The first is the heart is the center or the source of our thought life. In 2 Samuel 18, 3, we see these words, they won't care. Those words are literally, they won't consider our hearts. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11, it says that Solomon planned, all that Solomon planned, and those words are literally all that came upon Solomon's hearts. The ancient Hebrews had no biological category for brain. Now, it's important for us to see it's not because they were less intelligent than they, than, than we are. It's not because our intelligence has evolved. They just weren't as advanced as advanced as we are in their medical knowledge. And we must avoid the danger of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, which means that just because we live in an area in an era that is more advanced than cultures of the past, it makes us better. They weren't less intelligent than we are. They were just merely less advanced in their medical knowledge. But they had no biological category for the brain like we have. And so they didn't understand how synapses work and how the brain works. To them, the heart of the human being was the source of thought. It was the center of our thought life. It was the spring from which all thought sprang from. It was also the center or the source of our emotional life. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, that Hannah rejoices in her heart when she finds out that she is pregnant with Samuel. In Judges 16, 15, Delilah places love as having its source in the heart as she accuses Samson of not loving her. 2 Samuel 15, 6 places loyalty in the heart. And in Isaiah 40, verse 2, the phrase speak to the heart of my people is a parallel to the word comfort, which is found in verse 1. It's also the seat of negative emotions, we're told. Regret, grief, anger, envy, contempt, and fear are all attributed to the heart. The heart is also the center of our will or desires. In Second Chronicles twelve fourteen, we are told that someone decides something, but literally that word decide is to set the heart on. Number sixteen twenty eight, the word given to us is will or accord, depending upon your translation, is the word for heart. 
the part of you that makes decisions, the part of you that chooses one path over another. In the Old Testament is seated. It finds its source in the heart. The heart is the source or center of our thought life. It is the source or center of our emotional life. It is the source or center of our wills or desires. The heart is basically what makes you, you. Your emotions, your thoughts, your personality, your desires are all wrapped up in that one little word, heart. So when the father tells his son to guard his heart, he is calling the son to take an active role in making sure the things that will make him who he will become are marked by wisdom rather than folly. But why does he say the son should guard his heart? I think there are two ways told to us, two things given to us in this passage as the why we should guard our heart. The first is that's how we get life and health. There's something that brings life and health to those who keep the instructions of wisdom in their heart. On the one hand, physical health comes from guarding the heart. As Solomon goes on and talks of sexual purity, diligent work, using correct words of walking paths of wisdom, many of these things will protect us from physical harm. Solomon will tell his son later on in the book to not insult other people. Brothers and sisters, let me assure you that not insulting other people is a path to physical health. There is the potential for physical harm in insulting other people. But this isn't only physical health, but I think it's more it's as much about spiritual or emotional well-being. We have discussed in the past that life in Proverbs is not merely biological life, but the abundance of life. It is the life in your years versus the years of your life. Following the ways of wisdom will be pre will bring peace and spiritual fortitude to you, even in the midst of physical difficulties. Remember, the fear of the Lord is where wisdom starts. In turning internalizing the reality of God's sovereignty, God's goodness, God's love will give us a spiritual health in the midst of even the most destructive of circumstances. The reality of God's protection in the midst of war, in the midst of famine, yes, even in the midst of pestilence, should give you a sense of peace that surpasses all understanding. Not a peace that denies the realities, denies the horrors of a bad situation, but a peace that acknowledges, a peace that laments, a peace that trusts. Apart from God, apart from the wisdom that we can learn from the word of God, we search for a peace that ignores. A peace that ignores and a peace that ignores. It ignores the fact that bad things are happening around us. It ignores the fact that those bad things break our hearts. And it ignores the fact that God is sovereign, good and loving. And this peace that we seek apart from God is a false peace. It's the piece of the proverbial ostrich with its head stuck in the sand. And yes, I know that ostriches don't really stick their heads in the sand, but the proverb is out there in our culture. It's a piece that knows bad things are there, but tries to find peace in pretending they're not. Or in ignoring them. It's the piece of the addict. 
It's the peace that seeks to drown the difficulties of life in mind altering substances or maybe even in substances that are not necessarily mind altering or illegal. But it's also a peace that smacks us again once sobriety comes in the morning. Because we are faced once again with the choice to either pursue a false peace or the true peace. We need a peace that allows us to acknowledge the reality of the difficulties around us. We need a peace that allows us to lament those difficulties. And we need a peace that rests and trusts in the sovereign, loving and good God. We need a peace like the psalmist found in Psalm 119. Where he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you read Psalm 119 all the way through, yes, in one sitting, you will find an interesting combination of wisdom psalm and psalm of lament. It's a psalm that that cries out the joys of knowing God's word, the joys of having God reveal himself to us. And yet it is a psalm that also laments the scorn and contempt that the psalmist feels In life. He laments the fact that life is tough, that people scorn him for following God's law, but he still finds peace in following that law. That's the peace we need. We guard our hearts because it brings us life and health, but we also guard our hearts because they are the wellspring of life, the starting point of life. If, 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 as I have said, the heart is the center of our thoughts, the center of our emotions, the center of our will and our desires. Then we ought to take care of it. Because all the reactions that we have to life in this world will spring from that heart. Psalm 119, what does the psalmist say? He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. All he understands that all of his actions spring from the heart. And so he guards that heart by hiding God's word there. So that it might turn his heart to God's desires, to God's thoughts, to sanctified emotions. So that he might not sin against God. And that's what the father is teaching the son here in Proverbs 4. 20 through 27 is that we are to guard the heart, protect it from evil influences, fill it with things that are good so that we might have peace. But Paul says that we need something else that guards our hearts. And it's a peace that passes understanding. But we cannot find that peace on our own. It must come through Jesus Christ. It must come through the union with Christ that brings us reconciliation with God, that brings us peace with God. Because before we can be at peace in this world, we must be at peace with God. Jeremiah 31 talks of a new covenant that will be established, Jesus said, through his blood, where God's law, God's wisdom will be written upon our heart so that it can be guarded. So that it can be Held fast and secure. So we are called in this passage above all else to guard our hearts. How do we guard our hearts? 
First, we guard our hearts by guarding what goes in. Solomon talks about two things in here. He talks about the eyes. He says in verse 21, don't let the instructions, the the words of the father, don't let them out of your sight. And then in verse 25, he says, let your eyes look straight ahead. We should guard what we see. We should focus on the teachings of wisdom. We should constantly seek the ways and the teachings of wisdom. But we should also focus on the goal or the end of walking down these paths. We should constantly seek. We should constantly look to the glory that awaits us. In Pilgrim's progress as Pilgrim, as Christian, is walking his way. From the narrow gate to the celestial city, there are times when he takes his eyes off of the celestial city. And what happens in those times? He finds himself in Vanity Fair, tempted by the goods of this world. He finds himself in the in the in the valley of despair, the slough of despond, as it's called. Despairing of the darkness of this world, despairing of his own sin. We should constantly focus on the glory that God has set before us. Jesus underwent the sufferings of the cross because he understood he knew the glory that was set before him in our salvation. And we must keep the glory of God, the glory that awaits us as well. Before our eyes constantly. We should guard what we see, but we should also guard what we listen to here. He says in verse 20, listen closely to my words. Actually, he starts out by saying, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Pay attention and listen. Do you pay attention to what goes into your ears? As you get older, you may children, as you get older, you may go through the same lesson that I learned as I began to listen to songs that I grew up on, on began to listen to them on. Oh, it's hard for me to say oldies radio. Classic rock sounds so much better. But in reality, the songs I grew up on are now played on oldies radio. But as I listened to them, these songs that I thought were innocent little ditties, well, my parents were right about them. The language was horrific. The concepts and things that they sang about were what the scripture calls folly. And I'm not going to lie to you. I completely missed it as a teenager. But we know enough about the brain, the heart to know that those lyrics have shaped much of my youth in my adult years, and not always for the best. Salvation comes through hearing, we're told in Romans ten seventeen. So we must guard our hearts by making sure that what we listen to conforms with wisdom rather than with folly. We must guard with what go, we must guard what goes in. Paul talks about this in our early scripture reading from Philippians four. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then listen to verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me 
or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, young and old. Is what you listen to is what you watch is what you read. And I hate to ask you this question because I have to ask myself this as well. Sometimes. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Or is it praiseworthy? If it is, hallelujah. If not, we must jettison it. And then Paul says, whatever you've seen or heard, put into practice. And that leads us to the second way we guard our heart. The first way is by guarding what goes in. And the second way is by guarding what goes out. Solomon deals with two areas here. Once again, one is a general area. One is a more narrow area as we consider what goes out. He talks about keeping our feet on the way. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Whenever we see way or path here, we should think of conduct. We should think of our conduct in general, our actions, how we relate to other people in the world, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to the world in general. We should make sure that our conduct, our walk is marked by trust and wisdom, that it does not swerve from the right or from the left, that we keep our feet from evil. How do we do that? Number one, by guarding what comes in, by making sure that we are looking at and listening to things that are described by Paul there and in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. But also we are told that our paths become level In Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, through trusting God, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight or level. Do you want to deal well with your conduct? Do you want to have conduct that is becoming a Christian? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. But then Solomon narrows down. And he looks at the second area of life. We see it in verse 24. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Keep crooked. That's what the word perversity there is. Crooked talk. Keep crookedness from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your list. On the surface, we need to make sure that we're not being crass. Or crude with our words. We need to watch our language. We need to watch our jokes. But if we stop there, we miss a good bit of what Solomon talks about in the rest of the book of Proverbs. The context. Remember, we must look at context to find meaning. If we go deeper into the book of Proverbs, which we will. We'll see that Solomon deals with angry words. Keep angry words out of your mouth. He's going to deal with deceptive words. Keep deceptive talk from your lips. He's going to deal with manipulative words. He's going to deal with destructive words. He's going to deal with proud words. We must keep anger and deception and manipulation and destruction and pride out of our mouths. 
If we move on to the rest of the context of Scripture, we can add to the list slanderous words, gossip words. If we move forward to our own day and apply all of these to our own current situation, we can include typed words on social media. It's not only the words that we say with our lips, it's the words that we express whether it's through what we say or what we type. But Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter five. It's the words that we think. We not we may not express our crooked and corrupt thoughts about people. But those words creep up into our mind. And Jesus says when those angry, deceptive, manipulative, destructive, proud, slanderous, gossiping words creep up into our mind, it is as damning as if we had physically murdered that person. Brothers and sisters, watch your words. But the thing about what comes out of us, the reason we must watch this as part of guarding our hearts is it doesn't only express what's in our hearts. What we do changes our hearts as well. Think of the first time you yelled at somebody in anger, maybe somebody you loved. Did you feel remorse? Did you feel regret? Did your conscience just prick you? You probably asked for forgiveness. But if you didn't take that moment to get it under control, every time you exploded in anger, it became easier, did it not? We became more comfortable with that explosive anger. We begin to say things like it's just who I am. The more we sin, especially in specific areas, the more it changes our hearts. So we must guard our hearts not only from what comes in, but from what goes out as well. Above all else, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts by guarding what comes in. Filter what you see and what you hear through Scripture, through the wisdom that we are learning in Proverbs. And guard what comes out of your heart as well. Because it reflects your heart and it also influences your heart. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 15. The beginning of Matthew 15, he's arguing with some Pharisees and teachers, teachers of the law. The the disciples have committed the heinous sin of eating dinner without washing their hands. I know in this age of covid-19, we should be washing our hands and I am not, you know, making fun of washing our hands. It's very important right now. Please wash your hands. But it was not as condemning for the disciples as the Pharisees and the Sadducees made it out to be. That was their tradition. That was laws that they had added. And so Jesus was contending with them over tradition. And he gives this really short parable beginning in verse 10. He says, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but it's what comes out of his mouth. That is what makes him unclean. And his disciples don't get it. And so we pick up in verse 16, as they have asked, explain that short little parable to us. And Jesus says, are you still so dull? 
Do you not see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these things make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. As Jesus talks to the disciples and talks to them about the heart, he explains to them that, yes, the law was there to highlight uncleanliness. But it's not our problem. The problem is that we are unclean in the heart. And it is out of the heart that these things, murder, evil thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander come out of an unguarded heart. Do you struggle with evil thoughts? Do you struggle with murderous words? Do you struggle with adultery, sexual immorality, envy, dishonesty, or slander? Our Heavenly Father, through Solomon, calls you to guard your heart. We guard our heart through confession, through repentance, and through filling our hearts with things that are true and right and noble, pure, lovely, admirable, Excellent or praiseworthy. We fill our heart with Christ. Let us pray. God above. You have taken our hearts of stone. And given us hearts of flesh. You have written your law upon those hearts. Help us to guard them. Help us to guard what goes in to our eyes and to our ears. Help us to guard the media that we consume. And help us to guard our actions as well. Pry from us those actions, those sinful actions that we have become comfortable with, that have shown an unguarded area of our hearts so that we may then begin to guard those areas. Pry from us those things that we take in through our eyes and our ears that are unbecoming to you and help us to live in the peace that is ours, that you promise to those who guard their hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God has given us words of life and he has given us song to help drive those words of life into us. So we will sing hymn number 265. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. So if you have a hymn book, join with us as we sing. And please stand as we sing hymn 265.
As you go this week, as you walk your path, take this blessing with you. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.